Hello and welcome to Balagan, the podcast that will put things in order for a better understanding of Israeli politics. I am Kobe Cohen, a former political advisor and currently a political columnist and Israel educator. In many of my conversations with my American friends and family, I have noticed that Israeli politics is challenging to understand and quite blurry at times. So I'm here to explain how it works, who are the different players, and why the different players are acting the way they act. So if you're interested in getting what's happening in Israel, that's your place. My podcast will be thorough and brief, with many guests, giving you the best information about Israeli politics and society. It will deal with the structure of the political system in Israel, the different groups of interest, the players' history, along with analysis of what is happening today. I promise to be as objective as possible and guarantee it will always be interesting. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Balagan, and today I'm really happy to host my friend Nir Reisler from Israel. Nir is the content manager of the Berl Katzenelson Foundation. And what Nir and I are going to speak about today is um, Berl Katzenelson and his philosophy. It seems that today, with all of the hard distinctions between hard right and hard left, between nationalism on the one hand and globalization and uh, cosmopolitics on the other hand, we forget that there is a middle road. And that's exactly what I want uh, Nir to shed light on. Because Beryl Katzenelson was not only a leader of the labor Zionist movement, but a strong ideological intellectual who saw things in a way wider context than uh, we see today. So Neil, please enlighten us. Thank you very much. It's good to be here and speak with you. And what you said is accurate, but I would say even more than that, because it's not only that there is a middle road between particular national identity and the universal cosmopolitan view in the middle road between ideological purity and pragmatism in the middle road between the moderate center and more distinct ideological uh, poles. Not only that there is a middle road between all of them, but it's a tricky thing because in a way, Zionism, and especially the main ideological uh, direction that Zionism took place historically, which is the labor movement, socialist Zionism. So this specific road was built upon the fact that all of these things together have completely different meaning than if you separate them into a binary opposition. To the means, individuals. Yeah, but also what we call in Israel mamlachtiyut can be translated into republicanism in the French... Uh, in the in, French, in the French term. Uh, term. Yeah, <laughs> not the American one, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so the republicanism or the, the mamlachtiyut in the last couple of decades, and especially the last decade in Israel, there is a very dangerous... It's like uh, when you uh, disintegrate the atom, the atomic bomb. When you separate yeah. the universal and the Jewish and the democratic ingredients of the Israeli mamlachtiyot, you lose both of them because together they have a very specific meaning, which is a progressive, modern, humanistic national identity, which Israel was founded upon. When so you separate the two of them, both of them change completely. They become an alienated, universal, a cosmopolitan uh, stance on the one hand, which has no meaning whatsoever, because it's not solidary, it's not connected to a specific society, 
It doesn't represent uh, actual human uh, caring and Arvut uh, Adadit, which is the right. Hebrew term to solidarity. solidarity. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But on the other end, it's a kind of a nationalistic, anti-liberal, uh, populist right wing, which has nothing to do with the national identity that Israel uh, was founded in order to promote. I would say patriotism versus nationalism, which are two different yeah. things. It's a different distinction. It's a good distinction in an Americanized sense. And I think you translate it very well to the American uh, listeners. But yes. uh, in Hebrew, it's more complicated because... The fact that the United States was founded as an immigrant society with a shared vision of future, but with no common ethnic heritage, made this distinction possible. But in most of the world, the, the challenge is to have a nationalism or national identity, which is, in Hebrew, we'll say lumiut and not lumanut. Right, yeah. exactly. In English, it's more uh, nationalism is both. So. And you're actually correct, because most countries in the world were founded based on an ethnic or religious base of the common people. And the United okay. States is definitely the uncommon example, you know, I would say the unique example. Yeah. So tell us a little about Beryl. I mean, I know that we share the same name. I'm most proud of it. <laughs> uh, he was born as Yaakov and he was named really? Beryl later on. Yes. Right, <laughs> so, right. But tell us a little bit about him before we dive into his philosophy and uh, what he gave the Labour Party, ideologically. Well, he's really a unique uh, figure in it, even in the context of giants, founded the socialist uh, Zionism, the partner and close friend, uh, David Ben-Gurion, and all of the other uh, leaders of the Labour Party, some of them uh, ideological geniuses like Chaim Arlozorov, which would be probably one of Israel's... uh, greatest leaders it, if he hadn't been murdered. Been, yes. Yeah, mysteriously murdered, yeah. But, it's still uh, unknown who murdered Arlozorov. That's uh, an amazing <laughs> thing. Right. There was even a play about it, I think, in the yes. theater uh, a couple of years ago, who murdered Arlozorov. Right. Yeah. But what Bell was, was really unique, or at least exceptional, in some respects, because he had a very uh, complicated view of the relationship between uh, the particular and the universal. Right. And also the modern and the revolutionary and the traditional and the uh, continuous. Because, you know, all uh, Zionists, unlike communists on the one hand and uh, ultra-Orthodox Haredim on the other hand, yeah. all of the Zionists uh, understood that, that there is a kind of a fruitful tension, which is very important, between uh, change and uh, tradition, between the new and the old. But uh, Bell, you know, it, it was kind of unique because... Many socialist uh, Zionists were, of course, uh, Jewish in the national yeah. sense of the word. And they had a very strong national identity, unlike, uh, again, uh, more uh, cosmopolitan socialists. Right. But they also rebelled, and very rightfully so, against the... Uh, the religious, right? Exactly, against the Galuti, the Galut, yes. the kind of the exile. What you can call here the shtetl Jew. They wanted to form the new Jew in Eretz Israel, the working, the strong and right. independent Jew. And actually, most of the leaders, they had a strong Jewish identity, as you say, but most of them were also atheists. And right. they wanted to take the Jewish heritage and form it into a new uh, Jew. Exactly. They wanted to correct the very thick, the very uh, problematic uh, way of life, which was a pre-modern uh, Jewish uh, world that was... Uh, very alienated to the majority society, etc. They live in the ghetto. I mean, the majority. 
Exactly. So they wanted to be here a majority, but they didn't really know what to take from the old world. There was this very interesting uh, event that one of the most uh, significant youth movements, I think it was uh, Anor Oved, the working youth. youth. Yeah. They made a kind of a trip in Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av, you know, the day that yes, we, that we are supposed to mourn the... the for the, the loss of the temple. Exactly. They wanted to make a field trip in this day, not only because we already returned to Israel, which is a kind of a logical thing, uh, because yeah. what are we supposed to mourn? We're in Israel now, but it, it's it the foundation of the third kingdom, but the modern one. Right, but they didn't really see it that way. They just uh, thought that we are a secular, a progressive, modern, uh, national Jews. We don't care about these things. And Bell was yes. very much against it. And he wrote a very fundamental uh, article in which he said that a generation that wants to live It doesn't just throw away all the rich heritage because it's the legacy of his generation, but he also doesn't take it blindly as it is. He's supposed to examine it, to check it, to throw some of it, to embrace other aspects of it, to add to a tradition that already is, sometimes even to resurrect some ancient tradition that can nourish the soul of the generation that it wants to renew the Israeli existence or the Hebrew existence. I think that was what inspired uh, later on Igal uh, Alon, one of his students, to say, Am she'eno zokher et avaro, ha'ove shelo dal, ve'atido lot ba'arafel, which means people who don't remember their past, their present is uh, shallow, right. and the future is vague. And he was talking about the state of Israel and the Israeli people. Exactly. Another analogy is a tree. No, without roots, the tree cannot stand. Right. I mean, The top of the tree is not enough. There's no substance without being nourished by the roots. So there was also pragmatism, which is another opposition that he, in a way, uh, <laughs> deconstructed, like we said today. <laughs> but I don't like this term. But uh, <laughs> yeah, because he was a pragmatist. He was both an ideologist, but also a very shrewd uh, politician that understood that in order to promote its agenda, the labor uh, movement has to unite. Bel Katzenelson is personally responsible for the unity that at the end created Mapai, which is the first uh, ruling party in Israel, the United uh, Labor Movement, Working People yes. uh, Party, Flagged for Alei Eretz Israel. So, because uh, Bel uh, united with David Ben-Gurion. David Ben-Gurion was the end of uh, Poalei Zion, and Bel was the head of a non-party, like the working people that weren't identified with a specific party, and then they created Achdut HaAvodah, Unity of Labor, Then they joined with Apoel Atzair, which was the Arlozov's party, which uh, was highly influenced by uh, Gordon philosophy, which is more yeah. uh, a Tolstoy kind of, exactly. So at the end, Mapai uh, was uh, founded. He was also the editor of Davao, which is a very the important Hebrew... Newspaper. Uh, yes, yeah, and a socialist uh, newspaper. Yes. So it was kind of a um, mixture of uh, pragmatism, uh, ideology, tradition, revolutionary uh, views which is kind of a very uh, rich and very multi-layered uh, figure. I think we, we lack this kind of leadership today. The public discourse becomes more and more shallow on the one hand, right. more and more uh, polarized on the other one. I would say that Beryl was, you know, he was a part of a generation that uh, led by example. I mean, if you are looking at him and all of the leaders at that time, okay, most of them, were going to work, uh, you know, in the falacha and, uh, you know, to walk the land and uh, 
establish right. the newborn state, or actually what was uh, British Palestine at that time. And they combined their strong ideology and philosophy with their way of life and right. with what they were trying to promote. And Beryl was actually one of the strongest voices. You were talking about, uh, you know, what he wrote on Tisha B'Av and the youth movement. And he had a strong knowledge of the Bible. But on the other hand, he was not religious. And he combined socialism, you know, and solidarity with understanding that you can throw away your uh, religious and your heritage. Yeah, even more than that. He understood that this solidarity has to be uh, based on a specific identity. Because if you're not uh, connected to your own people, who should you be solidary with? Theoretical uh, humanity doesn't work. There's no real emotional meaning because real socialism, that's what, in my opinion, really was the most important uh, understanding of the socialist Zionism. They understood two things that uh, complement each other. On the one hand, there is no meaning to national identity if it's not expressed with actual solidarity. Because if you say that I love my people, I love my, my nation, but I don't really care about the homeless people of my nation, about children that are poor and my national brothers, right. my people that, that suffered, it has no real meaning. Because of that, the only honest conclusion of nationalism is socialism. But on the other hand, they understood that there is no meaning to socialism without specific national identity. Because right. solidarity is nothing if you're not part of a society, if you don't identify with people, with their uh, cultural uh, language, with their uh, feelings, with their uh, views, with their uh, vision for the future, with their uh, social ethos. Socialism right. and national identity have to go together. That's what they understood. And actually, they were able to explain it as well. Today, it seems that we are living in a world that you are either a nationalist or you're either an individual and there is no uh, middle road. And that's what's happening, you know, all over the world that you see in politics, especially in the, you know, the democracies that they are starting to fail because they can't seem to find the balance between the collective, between society and individuals. So what was the line that, you know, Beryl was drawing between the individuals and society? How you can you know, embrace both of them. Well, first you're right completely. What you described was the biggest problem of the last couple of decades, and even more than that. And uh, Gadi Tao, before he uh, became uh, ideologically insane, he wrote very good articles about it, which I love very much. It was the greatest tragedy, and the response, the answer that the Labour Party, uh, the Labour movement, gave to this dilemma was the... I think it wasn't very simple. I mean, in the first years of Israel and before that, they weren't sensitive enough for liberal rights, for the individual rights. And it's good that, you know, even Cherut, which were the Israeli, the old right wing, which was very different from Bibi's today's Likud. populism, exactly. Right. From today's anti-liberal alt-right. It's in a way the it was opposite. I mean, it was uh, problematic in many ways, but have, right. it still had at least uh, liberal pretensions, which were more than some of the more uh, collectivist uh, parts of the socialist Zionism. But still, uh, at least gradually, the answer uh, was a kind of a humanist, democratic, liberal 
kind of social democracy, which had both respect for uh, privacy and, uh, of course, for uh, basic uh, human freedoms and for democratic rights. But on the other hand, uh, a very strong sense of belonging, a very strong uh, feeling of identification with each other, collective values, like uh, you should contribute to society. The meaning of the individual's life is not only, not an atomized one, Because the truth is that the communitarian uh, philosophy, like Michael Walzer, people like Michael Walzer and others, they are very right that you can't really separate the individual sense of meaning from belonging to a particular culture. But on the other hand, you shouldn't in any way forget the importance of uh, individualism. That's, uh, again, a very fruitful tension. Both its ingredients are uh, vital. in order to have a sane kind of collectivism and not a very lonely kind of liberalism. It goes both ways. But you know, I think that uh, what you said about this tension between individualism from the cosmopolitan left and the very strong nationalistic sense of identity from the right is in a way, I spoke in many, many occasions against the anti-Zionist and the post-Zionist so-called left. They explained that it's not left at all. It's not left-wing because... Right. An anti-solidary right. left is not, not left at all. I agree. Right. The kind of that's, a mutation that's the of, base of that, the left. Exactly. Postmodernism is in a way a mutation of uh, economic right wing. But the truth is that this discussion, which is very important, is in a way anachronistic. Because today the situation is far worse in certain uh, respects. I think the problem of the left wing today is not excessive individualism anymore. Because I miss in a way this... Uh, naive, uh, excessive liberalism, which was very cosmopolitan and didn't care enough for uh, belonging and sense of identity. I think it has a kind of a ricochet, a kind of a opposite movement right. to the direction of another kind of collectivism, which is very dangerous, which is identity politics, which I think is the most dangerous intellectual and uh, cultural disease of the left wing today. Because of the progressives. Right. Yeah, because it's in a way a mirror image uh, of the nationalistic uh, populist right wing. Yeah, both of them judge people uh, according to the group that they were born into. Right. And not their reviews, not their actions, not their, their choices, not even their personality. It is only one name, you know. Racism is racism, whether it's against right. Afro-American people and whether it's against the privileged uh, white people. It's one thing to be aware of your privileges and to support the struggle for equality, which is vital, of course. It's it's a humanist obligation, unlike the right-wing claims. But it's a whole other thing to hate uh, people because they're uh, supposed to be privileged. It's actually the same thing. I agree with you completely. You know that even more than me, as one that lives in the United States and witnessed this kind of... uh, Oh, yeah, definitely. It's funny because with both sides, you can't really have a healthy discussion because they eliminate you on the spot if you disagree <laughs> with them. Yeah. It's like you're either with us or against us. Exactly. There is no other shades besides black and white. And then exactly. it's so deterministic that it's actually ruining the society from the inside. I agree. Speaking of a shallow discussion, discussion that becomes right. more and more shallow, more and more polarized and simplified. It's yeah. a kind of an anti-intellectual tendency. But I worry lots about it because I think that even social media promotes it. Well, unfortunately, I think that if we're talking about social media in overall, 
I would say that the Democrats, you know, uh, so social media and the technology is something that promotes the human race. And yeah. eventually what you see at the moment is that social media and progress actually help to spread, I would call the fringe ideas into the center. And suddenly you have groups like, you know, the progressive on one hand and uh, groups like QAnon on the other hand that are yeah. bringing both, you know, on the one hand, conspiracy theories, on the other hand, you know, we are inclusive, but we are exclusive. And when you look at leadership today, you actually see poor leadership. Do you think that there is a way today to embrace Beryl Katzenelson's thoughts and yeah. ideas about society and how to take something that he wrote, you can say well, some of the things he wrote are almost 100 years now, right. to these days, to modern life? Well, I think it's definitely possible, and it's not only possible, it's vital. Strip the, the ideology from its specific historical context and then you have really what we spoke about, the kind of a balanced, liberal, national democracy, individualistic on the one hand, but the collectivist and solidarity on the other one. Something that doesn't reject automatically the richness of heritage. Apropos, you know, this terrible vandalism with the statues of, I'm not speaking of slave owners, I'm speaking of Churchill and of everyone yeah, that was perfect. Churchill and uh, Christopher Columbus. Exactly. Yeah. And even Lincoln is accused of being a privileged uh, white man. Uh, no, Washington was... Uh, yeah. Because oh. at that time, you know, it's also right. something that we need to put in context. Right. All of these liberators, you know, American <laughs> liberators, they were yeah. all from the elite. Nobody came, you know, from uh, poverty. Uh, I mean, besides of Hamilton, but he's a different story. But, you know, almost every uh, Sam Adams, ever. Washington... And it's most of the leadership in the world throughout time. Not right. everybody grew up like, I would say, AOC in the Bronx, okay? Yeah, it's um, not even relevant because they're remembered yes. for uh, being uh, for the big things they did for their time. Progressive in the actual uh, sense of the word, not yes. the contemporary one. I am always telling people, listen, if you're going to dig, uh, you know, deep enough, you can find bad things about everybody. And I'm talking even including you and me, I'm willing to bet that if we'll search our history, you probably yeah. pulled uh, someone's hair. Or, uh, well, I hope you... they wouldn't. <laughs> I hope they wouldn't. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, a, it's the national American sports today, I think. Yes, it's we need to of... punish ourselves for everything. Exactly. And actually for, for things that other people did, not only what yeah. we did. It's very Christian. It's a kind of ultra-Puritan uh, game. It is. They will not admit it, but it is. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> so the, but it's also another thing, you know, that uh, America, I mean, the United States, is a great nation. It has really great uh, achievements. But it's also a very twisted, uh, very thick uh, society because it's barely a society at all in, in some respects. I mean, the socioeconomical uh, Gaps. deformities of American yeah. society are great. I mean, uh, I think uh, contemporary progressive neoliberalism, what we call the American left, and contemporary uh, right-wing uh, populism, yeah, like uh, Stephen Bannon uh, kind of uh, populism. So they're both uh, ways to escape the facing the actual social and economical uh, problems that, that needs to be addressed because 
But if the, the elite uh, plays with like the, the uh, Academy Awards, uh, we were... Uh, yeah, with the Oscars about uh, representation of uh, black artists and creators. And not only black, but the movies uh, are going to be judged first according to how politically correct they are. So it's yeah. ridiculous. It's actually only fashionable in, when Stalin ruled Russia. It was a commissar called Andrei, Andrei Zdenov. Zdenovism is a term that uh, came from, he was the, the main censor. And he said that great uh, Russian uh, poets and uh, authors are not Marxist enough, are not revolutionary enough. Yeah. yeah, so it's the same thing today, but only in the West. So I think that the fact that the elite in the United States today enjoys dealing with representation inside of it, not with actual poor people, whether Afro-American or uh, white, and not with the social deformities. And on the other hand, Trump entices against immigrants and against the left wing and against the free media, but doesn't really have a social alternative, which is the welfare state was. Right. Right, the New Deal, and Roosevelt's New Deal was this kind of alternative. So I think both sides that are ostensibly oppositions, they both escape the same thing. And they escape it because American ethos is so individualistic that it's almost impossible to promote social health care like Obama wanted to do. I admire him for yeah. it. I think his uh, foreign policy was a disaster. But I think that his uh, internal policy was uh, admirable. It's also the intentions are admirable, but I think that yeah. eventually uh, when you look at what he did, he also supported eventually the corporates and the stockholders, not I, like Trump did. And I agree I, with you. I mean, I think that in the U.S. it's very distinct that you have the West Coast, the East Coast, and then what most people don't know, but they are called in America the flyover <laughs> yeah. states. And those are actually the states that every time the Democrats are surprised why they are losing it. But right. when you look at the people living there, and now I'll speak regardless of color because you do have racism there, eventually yeah. you have a huge majority of poor people living there. But they don't see the context of why they are living in poverty. I mean, and that's something that's that, it. you know, the Israeli left of today and the American Democrats of today Yeah. fail to understand those distinctions of people, what we call in Israel, Ayarot HaPituach, and the periphery, and what Americans yeah. see in those flyover states. And that's something that, unfortunately, the right wing is able to target yeah. quite well, you know, reviving yeah. the scarcity within those people. It's true. You know, speaking of the labor movement that we began discussing, The Mapai, the original Labour Party in Israel, you know, it won the great majority of seats in the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, for years. You know, not many people remember that its campaigns after 1948, when Israel was attacked by a combined the uh, attack of the Arab nations here, and the, yeah. it faced actual uh, existential uh, threats. Right. But the campaign of the Labour Party was based on internal affairs, was based about the uh, Aliyah, You know, uh, coming to Israel, about Hitishvut, you know, education. Uh, people, education, about its uh, social uh, achievements. And people right. voted the Labour Party because they knew that it's a leadership that cares for the people, that is obligated for the people. Yes. The great tragedy of the Israeli left wing that in the 1970s or the 1980s, again, even before of that, it became more bourgeois, it became gradually neoliberal, because it began representing the more wealthy uh, parts of society that uh, they grew uh, because of the welfare state, but it became right. uh, an obstacle for them. 
but they didn't want to, to support the lower classes anymore. So when the left wing gradually became detached from the actual working people, its original base, I think the, uh, the problem began. It gradually began to sink. And it's a kind of a process that it didn't recover uh, yet. Yeah. Well, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely, so, because right wing doesn't really offer an alternative. Again, it offers an escape. Yeah. Well, you can definitely see it, you know, in the States as well. When you were mentioning uh, Barack Obama and uh, health care. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about the United States where the economic gaps are huge. And you have almost 15% of the population that cannot afford health care. You know, right. that last year was the first year that you can actually see the cost of the American policies that actually white people, death age is actually declining. They're starting to die younger. Yeah. And a lot of it is in those flyover states where people can't afford health care. They That's don't terrible. get the health care. And actually, you know, from the beginning, the health care uh, provided there is less good yeah. than what you can get in New York, in LA, and in the wealthier areas. Incomprehensible, the, the sense that human lives just, uh, doesn't matter. Not that, that black lives don't matter. It's right. human lives don't matter. And, and, and the fact that they escape this problem, which is, of course, it's made even more severe uh, because of racism, of course, but it's not the entire story. Definitely, it's not the entire story. Yeah, I think when these Trump voters say that uh, Hillary Clinton calls them deplorable, that the liberal elite doesn't care uh, for them because it feels contempt towards them because they are not right. uh, Afro-American poor people. They are just the uh, white people that are white trash uh, in their eyes. But uh, it's not surprising that the proto-fascist, very disturbing tendencies of the contemporary right wing in America right. uh, grow. It's also the fault of the liberal elite. But I don't think that the, the progressive identity politics, uh, the collectivist uh, kind of uh, reverse racism, is the solution. I think it's part of the problem. We need, we, we need to go less to the edge and more to the common grounds of the people. Yeah. And also have a, a humanistic base uh, for all our actions. The actual premise that people are created equal. All people uh, matter. Not that we should let uh, white people in... Uh, Universities they feel uh, humiliated because we need safe rooms for uh, people of uh, black or uh, Hispanic uh, origin. And it's completely yes. ridiculous. It's a kind of a 360 uh, degrees uh, circle from racism that leads to the exact uh, same place. You see, so eventually we go back to what Beryl represented, you know, yeah. because you were talking about solidarity. And there is actually, it's also, it's nurtured from, from our Bible because uh, we have the saying, which right. means the poor people from your people comes first. So if we want to summarize it, because unfortunately, as much as I enjoy the conversation, our time for this episode is almost done. Yeah, and I would love too. to continue the discussion about what happened with the approach of the Labour Party, what you started talking about in the terms of switching from socialism to neoliberalism, but that's for another episode. I want you to give us, you know, one last thing about Perl and his yeah. philosophy and something that maybe made an impact until these days. Yeah, well, I think what made an impact was actually uh, the idea of a political center. It created a kind of an interesting impact even today because 
what Bell represented in a way was a political center in the sense that it was kind of a derech ha-melech, a kind of a moderate road between being only progressive or only traditional, only pragmatic or only ideological. But it wasn't really center like today, because today we witnessed attempts to create the same thing. If Lagota Merkaz, the central parties, like Kachol Avan in Israel, or Yashatid, Yer Lapid's party, and it was uh, years before, it was the uh, Miflegit Amerikaz, so Kadima. There are these attempts, but they're very hollow, mostly. Ideologically shallow and also vague. And what yeah. Bell represented was an opposite yeah. kind of center, because he wasn't even willing to compromise for some values. He was revolutionary, he was a socialist, he was a, a Zionist, he wanted to create a new society, but he wanted to do so without losing the meaning of the past the heritage of the generations, the beauty of the tradition, not only as a kind of folklore, but of a cultural substance that you can be nourished from. This idea of having a political center, which is not polarized, it's not only liberal, only cosmopolitan, only progressive, but it's also not only traditional, nationalistic or Jewish. It's everything, but not in a kind of a vague, shallow kind of a... Not warm and not uh, cold. Yeah. Common ground in the shell of Like sense, parve. Right? Exactly, exactly. It's not like a shell parve. <laughs> yeah. It's not like a shell parve, but it's basar when, when it has to be basar, and it's uh, halav, halav meat, when it, meat yeah. and milk when it needs to be one. But in different uh, places, I mean, in some aspects, yeah. you should be revolutionary and, and very uh, progressive and very uh, renewing. But on other ones, you should honor the tradition and, for example, identify it's a value for creating solidarity. So this kind of an alternative center, which is not uh, vague and hollow and uh, in a way very shallow and uh, tries to be liked by everyone, which is really not really impressive. But and not really working, right, <laughs> as right. we can see. <laughs> it doesn't. Because then everybody hates you eventually. <laughs> in a way, yeah. <laughs> or, or just, uh, yeah, find yourself... Uh, with the right wing. Yes. So, Nir, thank you very, very much for joining me today. I really enjoyed recording with you. And thank you for enlightening us about uh, Beryl Katzanelson's approach and philosophy. And we will definitely uh, continue our discussions in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.